Hello and welcome to the Raider Wave podcast. I am your host, Joe Helsing. It is Saturday, October 8th, 2022. And on today's episode, we will be looking forward to the Week 5 matchup, the Monday night football matchup in Kansas City between the Raiders and Chiefs. Uh, you know, this has so many implications, this game. I know a lot of people are worried about the Chiefs. Many people out there don't think that the Raiders stand a chance, but, you know, spending the time looking at some of these key matchups, some of the key isolating factors that we can look at on both sides of the ball uh, between these two teams, I think there is some potential for the Raiders to come up with an upset victory to use this game as a springboard for the rest of the season. I mean, getting right in Kansas City in a national spotlight has a lot of uh, implications for building up some team morale, some some of that energy, carrying over into the bye week, things to focus on. You know, we have a, a pretty favorable schedule coming out of that bye week, so we know about, you know, what could potentially happen. But first, we have to focus on this Kansas City game. Um, first thing we'll look at here is a quick injury report, then we'll go over some of these key matchups on both sides of the ball. Um, and then we'll take a time to a little bit of time just to talk about Al Davis, touch on him. October 8th is the anniversary of his death. And, you know, so many things to talk about with him. So we'll take a moment to just touch on that. Uh, so first, injury report. A lot of key players uh, able to play in this matchup. Key crucial players, key crucial matchup. Love to hear it. Um, first of which is Hunter Renfro coming back. Um, you know, Renfro been out since that last play in the Cardinals game week two. Finally out of concussion protocol. has been in practice the last couple of days. Expected to be um, fully to, a full go on Monday. Uh, another, another thing to note, Perryman, who, was, who left uh, last week's game in Denver, or with Denver, um, left concussion protocol. Now he's out. Expected to play as well. Um, new linebacker addition, Blake Martinez from the Giants. Used to play with Patrick Graham. Um, familiar with the scheme, familiar with the system. He got signed, uh, you know, late last week to the practice squad. Now he's been signed to the active roster. He has potential to play on Monday as well. So Perryman and Martinez back there offer some uh, linebacker depth that could be really, really crucial in some of these matchups as well. Um, also, one thing to note: Jayon Brown. Um, he's expected to be out. He's already been designated to be out for this Monday night game. So maybe Martinez is filling in on that role. Um, Foster Moreau is still questionable for Monday. Um, no word yet on Jason or Jason Haran actually has been designated to the IR. Jason Haran was the, uh, tackle from the Patriots that had been signed a couple weeks ago. Had kind of been working himself in a rhythm. Now he's on IR expected to be out for a couple of weeks. Um, the only one else, Sam Webb still questionable. But everybody else, Darren Waller, he was on a, in a red contact jersey earlier on in the week. He's expected to play. Rocky Sin expected to play. Roderick Teamer expected to play. So close to a fully healthy 53-man roster going into Monday, going into Kansas City. Love to see that. Um, other side of the ball, some key uh, injuries for the Chiefs. Uh, Harrison Butker, their kicker, out for the game. Uh, no did not participate at all in this week in practice, already designated out. So that could be, you know, some key critical things going in this. If we can keep this game close, you know, having to limit some of their special teams ability, that could be a crucial. Uh, Juju Smith-Schuster as well is questionable for Monday. Um, and that's about it for essential key players. But something to note as well as we kind of start looking at this matchup is that this Chiefs injury report is uh, Valdez-Scantling as, you know, for... Uh, 
he has a minor abdomen injury. I mean, he's participated in practice all week, but he's been on the injury report. Sky Moore, another wide receiver, kind of special teams wide receiver slot guy. He's been on the injury report. So a little bit banged up on that side. Legereus Sneed as well. And we'll talk about Legereus Sneed when we start looking at these matchups. He was on the injury report as well, but he's expected to play. So getting into this, um, you know, a couple of things to really note with this matchup. I know it's really defeating when uh, going into Kansas City week, typically Raiders fans, you know, begrudge it. You don't want to deal with it. You want to pretend like it's not real. You know, you don't. I was talking to my sister earlier today. You know, she's a big Raiders fan. We were kind of discussing it, I mean, mentioning it. And, you know, her response was basically that, you know, they, she just didn't want to see the Raiders get blown out. And if we could just play well, then, you know, she'd feel good about that. And, you know, one of the perks of doing this podcast is now, for whatever reason, all of my emotional entanglement with game day operations, with play production, all these things, I don't have to be emotionally involved anymore. I get to be objective. I get to view these things. And as, you know, we look at the numbers on these and we kind of already kind of go in with some of these matchups in mind and looking at the way these games are playing out. We don't, we don't react in, in anger. We react with, oh, well, that's just an inefficiency there, right? You know, <laughs> meanwhile, you got one win. So, you know, it's, uh, maybe it's a form of uh, disassociation. Who's to say? But, you know, it's getting us all through something. So <laughs> let's look at this matchup here. I mean, look, we know what the Chiefs present on offense. We know how dynamic they've been. We know how much the Raiders' defense has struggled with them in the past. And as bad as the Raiders have been defensively against the Chiefs with uh, Gus Bradley, former defensive coordinator's you know, defensive scheme towards them, uh, the Colts basically shut down the Chiefs for the early part of that game and you know, were the only team to beat them this year, and that's Gus Bradley's scheme. So um, you know, <laughs> maybe he figured it out. Um, there, is, there is something out there that he was running this old school, or I guess it's considered old school now, this Seattle three-high thing that has since gone the way of the dodo, I think, in the NFL. Uh, but Gus Bradley was kind of considered one of the last few guys to be running that defensive scheme. So, All right, so let's look at generalized overview of the game matchup. Uh, for this, we're going to be using a pro football focus, just generalized team metric rankings. Um, so right now, overall power rankings for both teams. Raiders are currently ranking that 20, and Chiefs are ranked second overall. Um, power ranked defense, Raiders are 12th overall, and the Chiefs are 9th overall. Power rank offense, Raiders 15th, Chiefs 3rd. Offensive snaps, 69.3 for the Raiders and 68 for the Chiefs. Remember we were talking about um, offensive snap trajectories for the Raiders, what this offense kind of wants to run at. So we're trending upwards now, close to 70. Chiefs are in that 70 mark as well. Um, so that's, that's good to see, right? Percent of run plays, we're almost neck and neck as well. Raiders are running about 33% run plays and 35% for the Chiefs. Uh, percent pass plays, you know, same deal. 67% Raiders, 64% Chiefs. Um, earned per average per run. Raiders are at negative 0.07 yards. Chiefs are about negative 0.06 yards. So it's a little bit of struggle there and some run games, but the Chiefs ran pretty well against um, Tampa Bay. We know how well the Raiders started to run against Denver. So I think both offenses were probably trying to lean towards that going into this matchup. And so looking ahead to what we want to see or hope to see the Raiders do on offense this week against Kansas City, 
is, you know, of course, have, he, uh, lean heavily on that run game because we know how much the opportunity that can open up for the offense to get momentum going, to get some of the offensive line moving, to get all of us kind of just on board and on page and setting that pace of tone on offense that we like to see, uh, getting Derek Carr comfortable. And a big, big part of that, as we know, is that play action. And so looking for, you know, we've, we talked, uh, you know, a couple weeks ago about some of these Derek Carr grades and how he performs better in the play action. Uh, we're just going to take a minute to kind of look at where we're at now with the play action of Derek Carr over four weeks and what we can kind of note from his passing proficiency. So, I mean, one of the first things that we can kind of note right now, uh, we kind of talked about Derek Carr being in that middling passing proficiency rating right now. Uh, currently sitting at 26 just by, we're just doing passing proficiency. So um, overall offensive grade, he'd probably be a little bit higher, but he's still around that middling 22, 26 mark, depending on where you want to sort um, some of these key quarterback metrics. Um, something to note with Derek Carr, we know that his passer uh, rating increases with the play action. Uh, currently right now we're at you know 22 attempts with the play action pass. Um, total offensive grade of 81.8 with a passer proficiency of 77.7. So, you know, compare that to no play action. Um, we're about 56.5 uh, total offensive grade with a 53.8 total passer proficiency. So, obviously, it's very, very key for Derek Carr to have the play action. We know that. We know we've been leaning on that more, especially in that Denver game. Um, something to note now on percent of dropbacks or run and play action 14.2 percent so I didn't really know what that meant I didn't know what a key metric was so for example I used Jalen Hurts which you know Eagles right now are running very high run game offense dynamic quarterback couple of different things going on a lot of play action so the Eagles right now are running Jalen Hurts is running uh, play action on 35 percent of his dropbacks all right. So, you know, most quarterbacks traditionally, you know, the majority of them, their passer grading, their passer rating increases with that play action. So Jalen Hurts is no different, but something to see that 35 percent of dropbacks for Jalen Hurts in that Eagles offense with 14 percent uh, for Derek Carr in this offense. So and as another comparison, Patrick Mahomes right now running uh, play action on 21 percent of his dropbacks. So, you know, quarterbacks. High-octane offenses like to use the play action. That's why we want to establish the run game. I don't think this is groundbreaking news to anybody, right? So, of course, we'd want to see us lean on that run game. Uh, Chiefs defense is, like we said, um, kind of middle of the board right now, ranked at ninth. Their pass rushing is um, is a concern. And that's a big that's played in big part to uh, this guy, Legereus Sneed. Uh, he's a cornerback that basically, you know, looking at him uh, – Terrible in coverage, struggles in coverage, but when he comes down down into you know these pass rush situations, the guy the guy's a beast. He already has three sacks on the season, and we'll just kind of go over some of his key metrics right now. Uh, currently, his overall rating is eighty one point two, which is eighth among all active quarterbacks. Um, that's hundred out of one hundred and three. Uh, his run defense also pretty high, eighty one point nine. That's seventh out of ninety three cornerbacks. His pass rush. 92.7 out of 18 quarterbacks. That's first among all quarterbacks in pass rushing. We'll kind of get to what, what that kind of means. But his coverage rate right now is 70.6. It's 28th among all uh, active quarterbacks. That's 110 noted. So something to note here, we said that, you know, he is just basically a pass rusher. They're just using him basically for a pass rusher. Look, he has two forced fumbles, three sacks, like we said. But the passer rating allowed, 121.6. Yards per, yards per reception allowed, 9.3. And so when we look at these schemes, 
Uh, it's it's pretty simple. You know, their they're base defense right now, he's, he's cornerback once. So if they're not running nickel or dime, he's basically covering Devontae Adams, which seems like a mismatch nightmare, right? So they're probably going to be pulling around, really trying to make him get after Derek Carr early, early on in the game so the Raiders can't really do some things like that. Um, so combine him with Chris Jones on some of those internal pressures. We know how good Chris Jones is, um, you know, veteran playing in the league for a long time. Um, currently right now, Chris Jones ranked second overall in all defensive edges or defensive interior linemen at a 90.8, um, overall defensive grade. His run defense has been pretty good at 83.5. That's second among all interior D linemen. Um, and his pass rush is 86.7, which is third among all interior D linemen. So look, these two guys have the ability to disrupt the line of scrimmage for a lot of teams, and for the most part, they have been, right? We saw that against the Buccaneers. We've seen that against other teams. Um, Something to note right now, though, when we look at cornerback pressures, it the reason why this these are so skewed towards Legarius Sneed is he has he's he's basically rushing the passer on ten percent of all of his snaps. All right, so he's there, he's not put in coverage a lot, um, and he has basically you know more than double <laughs> the majority of cornerbacks in the league. So right now he has like twenty. There's a guy in the Lions that it sounds like they're doing something very similar with. He has seventeen for the most part. Most cornerbacks at this point in the season. Six, seven pass, you know, full-on pass rushes. So something to consider there. Uh, moving on, we know what the Raiders kind of need to do systematically as far as running the ball. We know how effective Josh Jacobs has been. Um, we'd like to see maybe a little bit more um, diversity in that backfield, maybe some more Zamir White. Um, Brandon Bolden's been very good in the passing game. He's actually, I think, five for five on uh, receptions right now. So, you know, these are some of these other things we can do to kind of start swapping these backs out. Uh, Brandon Bolden's a fairly good blocker. Um, So maybe we can kind of, you know, disguise some things in the backfield. But I think one of the key matchups right now is especially if we get that one-on-one with Janarius Sneed with Devontae Adams, always go into it. And if that coverage is there, look, we can always use – Darren Waller, I keep talking about these these tight end seam routes. <laughs> I'm like, just go, man. Let's do 10 yards, 10 yards, 10 yards, right? I like to see a little bit more aggressive and assertiveness like that. Um, it's hard to tell some of these dynamics. You don't know what's in your head and what you know, you're actually watching in real time sometimes. Um, but something I will note is that um, after the um, game with Tennessee, uh, something McDaniels had noticed was talking about uh, noted was, I think in regards to Foss Moreau was, you know, you, you throw the block, you get the rock type of mentality where, you know, if, if you're doing, you know, the, um, you know, not the fun things of your job effectively, if you're doing all the small things, of your job effectively, then you'll be ro- rewarded with, you know, receptions and things like that. So something to note, because I heard that. And the next thing I know, I saw Darren Waller throwing a little bit more blocks, um, against Denver. And we all know Darren Waller's due for a breakout game. We know, I think, that maybe the uh, Tennessee game was supposed to be one, and we were experiencing some drops, still some bad throws, still some timing issues. We don't need to make excuses anymore. I'm not really interested in that. I would just like to see Darren Waller have the opportunity to play some high-caliber football like he's capable of doing. I'd like to see Derek Carr give him the opportunity to that. And I'd like to see Josh McDaniels throw some of these other, th- you know, some, some <laughs> balls his way, basically, more or less. Look, I mean, the Raiders' offense can definitely go against this Chiefs' defense. It's still nothing really impressive. If we can get, I mean, basically, if we see Ladarius Sneed come down at the side, we can just call an audible, run the ball the opposite way, get some of these chunk yards, kind of just keep doing it. Keep 
keep doing imposing our will onto the Chiefs defense. I think the Chiefs always kind of benefit so much from having to play from getting to play from ahead and it really kind of compromises some of the statistical side of their defense and and what it's really doing and what it's not doing. One more thing to note with the offensive line um Look, Alex Barr's grades are terrible right now. Currently, he's, he's graded 35.3, which is 66 out of 68 current guards in the game. Um, Highest-ranked offensive lineman right now is our, is our boy Dylan Parnum. He's sixth out of 36 uh, centers or guards. Uh, Andre James is right there at 11, too. So internal, internal part of the line is really starting to come together. Um, Jep Chart still has Jermaine Illuminor starting at right tackle, which I think Thayer Mumford came in, but basically the majority of that second half of the game, he seems to be a little bit more consistent. Um, John Simpson is over Alex Bars right now um, in the depth chart. So we'll kind of see what happens at that left guard position. But but look, you know, the offensive line is being addressed. We're constantly trying to bring in new guys. Ziegler's bringing in guys, like I said a couple weeks ago. He's, he's consistently bringing in guys. We're trying to find depth guys. We're find, trying to find missing piece guys. So, look, we're committed to improving this team. It seems like, you know, uh, on a level that I don't think we're technically used to as Raiders fans. So as much as I'm concerned about some of these additions not working out on the offensive line, I kind of know the next wave's coming, and there's going to be solutions made. I think by the time we have a real offseason, some of these things that we're really kind of humming it, hemming and hot and about over the week are really going to start to work themselves out, and we're going to be very, very impressed with what we see. Jumping over to the defensive side of the ball and looking at what our defense can do against this Chiefs, off, Chiefs offense, you know, look, it's very, very easy to kind of go with the natural rapport and, you know, all these things we've seen and kind of keep giving the Chiefs accolades after accolades about how great they've been and how good Patrick Mahomes is, is blah, 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 blah. We all know the storylines. We all know, you know, the potential and all this stuff. Some things to note is I think the Chiefs are really, really missing a speed guy like Tyreek Hill, and they can't really stretch the field effectively as they can. You know, right now, Juju and uh, Valdez Scantling haven't really attained for much, and they're passing attacks essentially through Travis Kelsey. Um, you know, that being said, we've Travis Kelsey has always had pretty decent games against the Raiders. We know that. And this is a divisional rivalry. I mean, Kelsey hates the Raiders. The Chiefs hate the Raiders. They they love playing them and just humiliating them and all these things, and they love being able to talk about it on national media. I'm done with all that. You know, look, Kelsey, for as good as he is, I think we can find effective ways of covering him, whether that means Perryman just coming in and kind of boxing him out, playing on him, Nate Hobbs playing on him. We can definitely find a way to cover Kelsey, and if that's what we need to do is force Mahomes to basically beat us with Valdez-Scantling and Juju Smith-Schuster, you know, I'll take those matchups all day because I think that, you know, Amik Robertson, Rocky Sin, guys like that can definitely, you know, effectively cover some of these basically wide receiver twos on most NFL teams. So, look, the Chiefs passing attack hasn't been what it's been. Um, they've the enemy and has tried to disguise it a little bit using Kelsey and using some of these pass um, catching backs. Um, that's kind of where we'll start right now with some of the highlights of the Chiefs offense thing to focus on with uh, Clive Edwards-Hilaire and this rookie Isaiah Pancheco. Um, Pancheco basically kind of had a breakout game against uh, the Bucks. But look, right now, so we talked about Kelsey basically being one of the only you know re- receiving factors for the Chiefs right now. Um, currently right now with running backs for a minimum five targets, Clyde Ed- Edwards-Hilaire, you know, top of the league right now in receiving proficiency. So uh, nine yards per reception, over 117 yards right now, um, just through the air. So 
Um, to note on this, though, we kind of talked on the Raiders' backs really quick. Um, Josh Jacobs currently ranks 27th on this list, passing, passing proficiency of 79.4 uh, with 12 catches on the season for 90 yards. Uh, Brandon Bolden's right here, similar proficiency uh, at 27, 73.4 with, uh, like we said, five catches on five targets for 24 yards. So, um, look. The Chiefs are going to be relying on this run game pretty heavily. They're probably going to be swapping these two backs out. They're probably going to be trying to do a lot of mis- misdirection. We know that. So as a team, you know, I'm really, really excited to see what Patrick Graham can bring to this this defense and to this this look that the Chiefs aren't used to seeing from the Raiders. Um, also, something to note is that, you know, if we can give some unique looks on defense and kind of slow the Chiefs' offense down, um, and keep them guessing. Look, the Chiefs play the Bills next week. So as much as we want to kind of talk about this Monday night football matchup and all these types of things, who's to say that the Raiders are really or the Chiefs are really preparing at full capacity for, and watching film on some of these Patrick Grand schemes and really doing all the hard work because they're assuming that the Raiders offense just isn't there. They're assuming that, the, that it's always easy to just kind of go over the top against the Raiders. And so looking at the defense this year, look, um, we know how good Max Crosby has been and who he's matching up against right now. Um, basically right tackle, this guy, Andrew Wiley. Um, 67 uh, total def- offensive grade right now. So what, what does that mean? Uh, currently ranked 33rd out of 69 graded tackles. Uh, his run blocking is 65.9, which is 31st out of 71 tackles. His pass blocking is 62.9, 46th out of 68 tackles. So, you know, kind of a middling guy. Gives a lot of opportunity to Max Crosby. We talked about some of those um, stump moves between him and Farrell. If Chandler Jones can do pressure on the opposite side, we really have a potential to get after Patrick Mahomes. The real key issue on the Chiefs' offensive line is their uh, starting center, Creed Humphrey. Um, currently rated first overall for total offense out of 36 centers uh, with a rating of 84.5. Um, Current pass blocking grade is fifth out of 36 centers at 75.3, and his run blocking grade is 84.8, which is first again among 33 active centers. Uh, just for note, Creed Humphrey, as a rookie, was first overall for centers in 2021 for overall offensive grade. Look, this is a 6'4, 302 kid out of Oklahoma, so I guess that's expected, right? Um, but something to note that on that Chiefs offensive line is that right next to him is a this guy this other guard uh, Thunley. He's a, he's third overall in uh, pass blocking. So that internal pocket could be a pressure, uh, could be an issue for the Raiders' pass rush. But like I said, if, if if Crosby can get back there, if we can kind of basically you know take these mismatches, not let the Chiefs kind of extend plays and get after Mahomes early, the potential for the Chiefs' passing attack just isn't there. And they get you know when Mahomes has to start throwing the ball away, he starts getting upset. Then he starts forcing things. You can get inside Patrick Mahomes' head. You can force this guy to make mistakes. You know he's not Superman. You know that's what the Raiders keep needing to tell themselves. You know we're not impressed. We don't care. You know what I mean? We're playing now. You know, every any given Monday night in Kansas City in Arrowhead Monday night. <laughs> but look, um, just for reference, too, I don't want to talk all this stuff on the Chiefs' offensive line and throw um, our line some shade. Look, like we said, Dylan Parnham right now is six and run blocking as a rookie, and Andre James is right there, kind of tied for six too. So, look, we we have improvements on the offensive line. 
we we have just as good of uh, value players as they have. Th- this is not some entertainable task like it's been in the past where the Chiefs has been a juggernaut. The Chiefs are very, very susceptible to being dissected from good teams. They're just relying on basically, you know, image and basically, you know, Patrick Mahomes' ability to extend plays and get the ball to receivers. Um, something to note on special teams is Sky Moore has kind of been a wide receiver three, kind of a slot guy. He is a punt returner. He's a kick returner. Look, multiple fumbles in the Indianapolis game, multiple drops. This guy has been inefficient. And, um, you know, just another key player for us to kind of get in the head of and force to make mistakes, right? This is a key matchup Monday night. People, people care about stuff like that. You know, they get in their head. People don't perform Monday night. People don't perform well in primetime sometimes. So anything we can use to get inside some of these guys' heads. Um, like we were talking about Juju and Van Dives, um, Van Dives Scantling. Look, those guys don't really pose, pose some of the threats and some of the receivers we've seen with um, some, someone like the Chargers right now. Uh, Nate Hobbs, we know, have been playing really well. He's going to be eligible for this game. Um, Nate Hobbs, just kind of going through his numbers. Look, right now Nate Hobbs is eight, ranked seventh among all active cornerbacks at 81.3 total defensive grade. But in uh, run defense, fourth out of 93 active cornerbacks. Um, Pass rush grade of 78.2, which actually we're going to come to that because he hasn't had enough pass rushes to, you know, gain a ranking officially. Um, But we can kind of compare him to Legereus Sneed and kind of see what the difference is, what, you know, what the numbers really tell us between these guys, how good Jeterius Sneed is or isn't, right? And um, overall coverage grade for Nate Hobbs, he's 13 among active cor- 110 active cornerbacks at 77.8. Um, cur- currently allowing a passer rating of 74.4 and 7.3 yards per, per reception. So Nate Hobbs, as we know, really coming into himself, you know, second year in the league, um, really starting to establish himself. Um, look, here's a kind of bizarre stat or something to consider when we were talking about um, Legereus Sneed and his pass rushing. So out of all quarterbacks with no minimum rushes, this is just overall, um, you know, pass rushing proficiency, Nate Hobbs is seventh overall with only two rushes, and one, but he has one sack, which is why he's so highly graded. But he's only rushing right now at 1.3% of snaps. Uh, our next kind of, you know, cornerback in this list is Amik Robertson. Um, you know, now he's 29th overall with, you know, six pass rushes, which, but that's 5.3% of his snaps. So maybe if we could use Nate Hobbs a little bit more in that rush defense or maybe line him up where it looks like he's maybe covering Kel, um, Kelsey and then use that as an opportunity to get to the quarterback and just kind of disrupt the play. A couple of different ways perhaps we could use him to disguise because, look, he has the potential as a pass rusher as well. Um, and even, you know, you can disguise so many different things if you just move him up and then have him drop back. He has that ability to disrupt because – this is going to be one of the few players on the Raiders' defense, obviously, besides Max Crosby, that the Chiefs are going to be noting in probably some of their, their key walkthroughs, right? Like, this guy's good, this guy's not that great, you know, moving on type of thing. But, look, people are uh, Nate Hobbs is gaining the attention of, I'm sure, plenty of offenses when they're trying to plan against the Raiders right now. So, And just to wrap up the Chiefs' offensive report here, or uh, whatever you want to call this thing, I mean, look, we talked about the Chiefs' passing offense not really being there right now. And currently, you know, Travis Kelsey leads the team in receiving with 322 yards. He currently leads the team in in targets, receptions, all that stuff. But look, so for all tight ends right now, Travis Kelsey's number one. Uh, He's got 26 receptions on 34 yards, and his receiving proficiency is 87.9. He's averaging 12.4 yards per reception. All right, so receiving proficiency going down. 
Uh, Fosma Rose right here at 7 at 75.4% passing proficiency. Darren Waller's right at 65.4. So, look, but we want to talk about target share with Travis Kelsey. Travis Kelsey having 35 targets or 25, uh, sorry, 26 receptions on 34 targets. Going over to wide receivers with minimum 20 targets throughout the year, Devontae Adams has 26 receptions on 43 targets. So, I mean, Travis Kelsey's right up here with, like, the highly, highest, most targeted receivers in the league. Um, Cooper Cup, I think, leads the league in target at 52. But, look, so that's just giving more context about how the Chiefs' offense is kind of struggling right now. They're looking for an for a wide receiver straight up. It's not, it's not Mikel Hardman. It's not Juju Smith-Schuster. It's not... Um, Valdez Scantling, you know what I mean? And you can only do so much with running backs out of the backfield. You can only do so much with the tight end. So as we go through this thing, if we can start isolating Travis Kelsey, getting into Patrick Mahomes' face, forcing him to throw the ball away, get inside the Chiefs and not let them establish that rhythm, right? Uh, we know the edges are weak. We can we have good edge rushers. This matchup is not insurmountable, okay? And this Raiders offense, like we said, still is not clicking on where it wants to be. And if they could get right on this game, the potential for this thing and this, the way it's turning can really, really change the course of the Raiders' season. I think we'd all love to see that. Um, we'll take a minute here to just take a break, and then we'll kind of close up with just talking about Al Davis. All right. So, I mean, what cannot be said about Al Davis that has already been said? Um, you know, so much of Raiders history and lore is wrapped up in you know, who he is and what he was able to do and all the messaging behind everything. You know, coming from the East Coast, being a commissioner of the AFL um, while coaching the Raiders, being a co-owner for the Raiders for so long, the years with John Madden, you know, helping negotiate, well, negotiating the merger with the NFL, the John Madden years, you know, hiring Art Shell, first African-American head coach in the Super Bowl era, Tom Flores, uh, former Raiders quarterback, Super Bowl winning head coach, second Latino, or uh, second ever Latino head coach of all time. We know how progressive Al Davis was and everything he did. And, you know, the real, um, the real vision he had for what the league was and the potential it was going to be. Um, like I said, you know, I'm 36 years old. I've never seen the Raiders win a Super Bowl. Um, the experience I had as a kid growing up uh, and, Al, and seeing Al Davis was probably not the, you know, the prime of his life, the prime of his career. Um, but I was able to, you know, gain that Raiders fandom and, you know, I mean, most of the early things that really enshrined me in Raiders glory was around uh, Al Davis, just lore and, and stories I'd heard from either my folks or, um, you know, my uncle. And, um, you know, I've watched documentaries and, and things like that. And, you know, I've, I've caught the story, <laughs> the story and all the greatness and heard everything about, you know, the rise of commitment to excellence. And I've seen the you know, the images of the just win baby thing. And one of my favorite things I've heard him talk about is this idea of, you know, of gestalt and this will to win. And, you know, it doesn't really matter, you know, what you're up against or, you know, what the, the odds are or anything like that. 
if you have true resolve and a will, you know, to basically be successful, then um, more or less, you know, the world's your oyster. I mean, that's kind of the way I look at it. And, um, you know, it's, it's always interesting to see, um, because, you know, when, when I'd see Al Davis on the screen when I was a kid, I was like, who's this guy? You know what I mean? Where's Tim Brown at? Like, what's going on? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? The, the Napoleon Kaufman or something like that. You know, those were some of my favorite players when I was a kid, Jeff Hostetler, stuff like that. But, you know, seeing Al Davis in the later years and just being, you know, wrapped in the spectacle of all of that and then going right into, you know, Mark Davis, um, there was so much just ridicule against Mark Davis for so long, you know, for the haircut and all these things and, you know, just how he wasn't like his dad at all. Um, and this is just an outsider looking in, you know, this is a guy reading reports, this is a guy watching, um, you know, various, you know, movies or whatever on the topic or just, you know, observing it in real time in the way that people, um, you know, basically view Mark Davis currently. And I just got to say, you know, I mentioned it early on in the podcast that I was really impressed with what Mark Davis has been able to do with bringing stability and structure to this organization because, um, you know, the reports that we hear from owners around the league and things that happen behind closed doors in so many different NFL organizations, it's somewhat uh, reassuring to realize that, you know, for all of the terrible things that people say regularly about the Raiders franchise. Um, the worst thing they could kind of come up with was the guy's bad haircut. And probably some of the most recent things were, you know, some of the books, you know, I mean, it was, it was a poorly run operation. It wasn't being run um, efficiently or correctly. We had, uh, you know, shortages in, in income and cash and things like that. None of these are, you know, tabloid issues or anything like that. And for Mark Davis to, you know, really be able to maintain that resolve in himself and bring about some structure, especially after this John Gruden thing, and bring in uh, Josh McDaniels and Dave Ziegler to really right the ship and stabilize this thing. Look, I know a lot of people are still speculative about the way this franchise is maybe heading and view it as another mistake by Mark Davis and the Raiders organization as a whole and that why this thing isn't going to work out and that Josh McDaniels isn't the solution. I have complete faith in the exact opposite of that. I feel like structurally, if you can maintain a good culture and consistency and basically a professional operation, then success will come. Um, you know, great leadership, you know, commitment to excellence. This is when these things start to come up, right? Um, these overall structure of the Raiders now, I feel like if... If Al Davis was 30 years younger and with us today, or if this had happened 30 years ago, this is where Al Davis would like to see, you know, this organization and franchise head, heading. And, um, you know, to that, I got to say, you know, congratulations to Mark Davis and to the Raiders currently, and um, really to all of us. I mean, we are fortunate that we get to see a franchise and organization turn itself around and um, really establish some, something new in the NFL. You know, I think at the end of the day, for a lot of us, there's no football like, you know, good Raiders football. And um, it feels like we've been uh, let down for so many years and, uh, you know, have had the pieces and we've been this close and then something else will happen. Um, and it's so easy to revert back to old ways of thinking and to just neglect the whole um, team in general and to just write it off as just the same old, you know, thing that will never you know, manifest itself in, in, uh, in glory. Well, 
I personally like to imagine that we are right here on the precipice of something brand new and exciting. And um, I just want to thank everybody again for spending the time to listen to this one. Um, Really starting to get a little more comfortable. I appreciate everybody spending the time to listen to it. This will be the first episode available on, I think, all podcast platforms. So really reaching out. We'll be doing, uh, hopefully, some more engagement. Uh, Feel free to leave a review. Uh, Feel free to rate. Look, we're getting the, the hold of this thing. It's it's always getting better, and um, it's always a lot of fun. So thanks again for listening. Until then, peace. I'm out of here.